Hello, and welcome to the Yellow Brick Therapy Podcast. I'm your host, Jenny Helms, and today we are interviewing Dr. Emily Vinzant, a local family physician here in Wichita. She's also a blogger who vlogs on her website, www.drmom, and then the letter e.com. She writes all about solutions to common medical and parenting topics from the life of a mom who is also a doctor. And so she has invaluable wisdom that she shares with us as she enjoys writing and sharing what she learns from being in the medical practice as well. She's a wealth of information, as you will see. I had all these different questions I was going to ask her and then kind of ventured out into different topics because honestly, I was curious and she just had so much knowledge to give us. So I'm hoping I'll get her back on the podcast and interview her some more because I really, truly did enjoy interviewing her and really learning from her during this podcast. If you have any feedback or questions you'd also like to ask Dr. Emily, please feel free to visit our podcast page or the Facebook page for the Yellow Brick Therapy Podcast and send me a message. I would love your feedback and anything you guys want to know, I would be happy to ask those questions. All right, without much further ado, let's get into the show. So let's get started with our first four. Okay. What did you want to be when you were an elementary school kid or growing up? What did you think you were going to be? And how did that lead you to where you are today? So I think really, I'm a third generation physician. So I think really behind it all, I probably always wanted to be a doctor. Um, Maybe not family practice, but, you know, it was always in the back of my mind. My grandpa was a neurosurgeon and my dad was a general surgeon. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think I really liked the idea of being able to prove I could do it and and helping other people. I can't tell you how many times growing up, and I don't get this as much as a surgeon does. In family practice, (laughs) you get thanks for the extra pill. In, In surgery, you get, you saved my life. Yeah, (laughs) and I would be, I mean, I, we were just talking this last weekend, our family was together about my dad and my brother said, I remember we grew up Catholic and he said, I remember being in church and watching, he was the um, altar boy and he goes, I remember watching down the aisle and all of a sudden dad was in the middle of the aisle doing CPR on a guy and he goes, priest didn't miss a beat he just kept going oh my gosh <laughs> he did oh he, and I remember it too so it was always wow. in the back of my mind I think I additionally I love education I was um I thought about being a teacher my degree is in education mm-hmm. middle secondary science um and then uh so I went through with that in in college you can do that and do kind of your extra electives in science so it fits the pre-med requirements as well Mm-hmm. I actually went back and taught at my old own uh, grade school for a year, and I kind of felt like I loved it, but I felt like this wasn't really my long-term path, and that's when I finally kind of got back on the board with medicine. Mm-hmm. I also I also love to write, and so that's kind of what um, got me into blogging recently, but um, because I, I, I love I love to sit down with a computer and just start writing. And so all these things are kind of finally tying into my life, but um, medicine is, is my primary passion, and that's obviously what I do every day. Yeah, yeah that's that's really cool. And third generation, that's yeah, fascinating. It is kind of fascinating. Yeah. I think um, I'm, you know, the only girl 
which I love, of course. Um, and I'm the only physician in my generation in my wow. family. So I had two uncles that were physicians that have both retired, my dad and then my grandpa. Wow. It's pretty, it's, it's a pretty cool legacy. When I did my residency, I did it um, at Via Christi and I would walk down the hallway and, you know, it's early hours in residency. And there was a picture on the wall of my grandpa mm. and then a picture of my dad doing the first laparoscopic surgery. And so when I would walk in the walk in those hallways, it was it was really cool. I mean, it, it just kind of keeps you doubly motivated. I also was able to rotate with my dad. My mm -hmm. dad trained the family practice doctors at our residency, so I spent two months on his service in residency, wow. which was a bit wild because I had a little girl at the time. My mom babysat her, mm -hmm. so I would literally get up at like five in the morning, drive to my parents' house, drop my daughter off, <laughs> see my dad. We would go to work all day, work together. We yep. would go back and eat dinner at my parents' house, and then I'd go home, go to bed, and do it all over. Wow. So it was so, I mean, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything in the world, though. I appreciate my dad on such a different level because I was able to do that. Yeah, and to, that's so neat. So he was able to help you with your training yes. and, yes. yeah, and the fact that they had that legacy literally where you went and got your training. And yes, that is so cool, like the family connection there. And I guess it sounds like you have a really good relationship with him. I'm just guessing. I do. I do. Yeah. Um, you know, we grew into that a lot. Um, mm -hmm. I would say when we, when I was young, not so much. I was the one who butt heads with him all the time. I'm mm -hmm. one of five kids. And so I was the vocal one. And mm -hmm. I see that now. But, oh, no, we butted heads all the time. Yeah. Um, but as I grew older, I think I understood him better. And I understand him better now. Mm -hmm. um, just going through things and the stresses of medicine and what it does to your life and, you know, the extra, the extra complications that it brings and what you bring home, even though you try not to, right. you understand that, you yeah, know, absolutely. you can't shut it off as much as you try to. My husband recently said to me, so, I mean, we've been, we've been together for like, God, what's it been eight years now? And mm -hmm. he literally said to me a few weeks ago, so you're like always on call. I'm like, <laughs> yes. And like he, he said, hadn't quite wrapped his brain he around He still that. didn't understand that. I said, oh. I check out on the weekends as a group. We check out to each other on the weekends, but yeah. I am on call otherwise. Mm. <laughs> he finally got that. He said, I said, how do you not know that? I'm confused. But he finally <laughs> wrapped his head around the fact that you just don't, it's not a, as much as you may, you know, want it to be a nine to five or mm -hmm. have those days where you just want to shut it off. It's really not your shut off. Right. You, right. I'm sure, experience the same thing. Yeah, I mean, we're not, like, I've I've made really good boundaries around us not being a crisis center, but even with that, so we don't really, we're not technically on call. However, clients will call, and then I direct them to the crisis center, and, yeah. you know, and, and the ways that you are um, Your interwoven into shut their, off. yep, yep. You don't shut and off. Yeah, and there's, there's definitely healthy boundaries, but yeah, we are human, and part of the work that we do is being interwoven into that as well so absolutely um so yeah I definitely can relate to that but that's pretty funny that he <laughs> hadn't really quite understood what that meant my husband is a so work in, in, unto himself I love the man he is my equal yeah. which is amazing to find yes you know being a I think female physician we I think a lot of female physicians are kind of that take charge power type of people to get through all of it and you mm -hmm. need someone who will equal you but not 
you know, so we butt heads a lot, but he, I love it that he always has a different perspective. He's not in the medicine world, and so he always has something to add. Um, but yeah, that, I mean, I don't know where I got off on that, but yeah. he's, he's a riot. He's, he's, he adds to my life, which is nice. Yes, and I love that you describe it that way because I can tell that he brings like joy and humor into your life (laughs) and that's such an important thing to have a partner that we really have a like friendship with and that we do feel is equal and equal means you will butt heads right I don't think that it means you know a, a partnership without John Gottman talks about how people can make it work and they can be, you know, not butt heads, but typically those relationships don't actually have a lot of closeness or intimacy. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're typically not finding partners that they're really, you know, growing from and challenging and um, yeah, that kind of equal partnership. So I think butting heads is a good thing. (laughs) You know, how to do it well, right. And do it in ways that um, are protective of the relationship versus, you know, destructive right absolutely that's really cool and tell me more about a moment you've had as a physician that um looking back on was maybe a mistake at the time but it has been something you really learned from or one of your I call it like a worst moment but really it's just a growing moment that you've had as a physician um in terms of growth I would say I I think you know the world is evolving, and, and, you know, we talked a few minutes ago about practicing in, in Kansas, and I have a lot of patients who are, you know, rural Kansas people who I love for everything that they are, but I will say I took over the practices of two, you know, 65-year-old male physicians, and um, the expectations with uh, young female physicians, I'm just going to say it, they're different. You know, yeah. it is there is a difference in the way I practice medicine. There's a difference in the way I communicate with my patients. There's a difference in my expectations from them and their expectations from me. And so I think probably some of my biggest growing moments actually came from some of those patients that I inherited who um, came to me, looked at me and said, I I literally had one say to me, don't you rock my boat, little lady. And I was like, wow, Wow. last time I checked, I have the same MD after my name that your last doctor did. But those patients have been some of my biggest growth patients because it takes a while. It takes earning their trust as well as them earning your trust. I mean, it is a relationship. Primary care is a relationship. You have to, I really, you have to trust your doctor. I've had patients over the years who I've said, I don't think I'm the right fit for you because I don't know that you trust me. And And that's fine. That's Mm -hmm. fine. I want you to be with someone who you do trust. And I want to be able to get through to you as well. So, but it's so funny. One of the guys specifically, he's probably in his seventies now. And I I mean, I can't get him out of my office. You know, (laughs) he, it it is the guy who said, don't you rock my boat with a lady. Um, And it took months of work, you know, and and growls and being very frustrated (laughs) with me when he came in and, until he realized that, you know, I mean, things are changing with medicine as well. The guidelines are changing. What we have to do for certain patients is changing. And and so um, those have been definitely some of my growth moments. Mm-hmm. And, and I love those relationships. Those are some of my favorites now. Yes. Equally, the ones that I'm sure you experience this too, who, you know, um, I can name probably 10, think of 10 in my head, who 
you know, they come in and they haven't been to a doctor in 10 years and they have a list that is 40 pages long and it's always written out and given to you in nice handwriting mm. and you are going to fix their life. Those are the ones, you know, I, I just started one this week and I said, you, I, I want you to come in every two weeks. We're doing two week appointments. We are going to hit this thing one by one by one by one. Mm -hmm. They're always the patients who bring me flowers to begin with. And which is a little different. I've only had that happen a few times, but I've had it happen with the same. It's just an interesting personality type that does it. But you know what? It's so, it's really, it's the joy of primary care. When you get through that and you go, wow, I haven't seen that patient in six months. Like we've gotten them physically on the right track, but also mentally on the right track to know that like we're taking care of their needs. You know, they know they can come in if they need me. They know I'm here if they need me. They know I'll listen to them. They know they're not going to get blown off. And so they come in when they need it, not just out of this fear of this long list of things that have just really destroyed their lives. Right. So I, I love, I think those probably are the two biggest areas where you see the most growth with yeah. patients. Yeah. Not just from a physical standpoint. Yes, it, it is physical. What I do is, is mainly physical, but there's all obviously the mental moment it too. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm, you're preaching to the choir when I'm talking about how integrated all of this can be. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. And when things are impacting people physically, it's definitely impacting their mental state and can also be, yeah, there's a bi-directional yes. relationship between the brain and the body. So, absolutely. Um, so yeah, so it's, it's great that you're doing that work and gaining. I've, I've found too that some of my clients that bite the hardest at first, you know, again, once you build that rapport and trust over time are like, they're like, I'm your people, you know, like they They're have your people. back, right? Absolutely. And it's, it's fascinating to see that. And I even like thinking back on my own journey, I had a really tough bite too in my own therapy journey, but then I ended up really um, doing the work and trusting my therapist over time. And that was something. And I think that's why I can like, you know, when I see it, I'm like, like, I kind of like smile a little bit inside. I'm like, I'm not laughing at you, but I'm just like, you know, yes. it totally makes sense. It resonates to me. With you. Yeah. It's so true. And, and in a way, I appreciate that because, yeah. you know, we know there's huge statistics out there of patients who are never going to fill the script you give them anyway. They just look at you, nod their head, and walk out the door. Right. So at least there you know where you stand. That's true. You know, at least there's some honesty. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be that harsh. Right. But right. You, know, you don't need to say you don't, <laughs> Think of packages you don't need to rock my boat, little lady. But... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yes, better packaging might be helpful. But yeah. yes, there's there's some honesty and truth in it. But I like those kind of people actually. I like it when you can, you know, you know where you stand with them, and you know that they're listening or they're not, and they're going to argue back if you they don't like what you say. It's true. It's totally true. It's one of the, it's the thing I appreciate about sometimes teens versus adults that I work with, because as we grow older and as their pre prefrontal cortex develops. We learn all these sophisticated ways of not saying or not being really truthful about how we're feeling where, you know, teenagers come in and they're raw and a little bit more messy and like sometimes they just kind of give it out there. And then some, of course, they're holding it closer to their chest too, but they just tend to be a bit more unsophisticated and I love that. Like I don't say that as a bad thing. I think sometimes our sophistication can actually keep us from growth and keep us stuck in our narrative and our yeah. story and so because you hide it well yeah so I'm with <laughs> you on that no there's there's something beautiful about the rawness of people even though you're right we could all like we could package it better but um 
But yeah, no, it's great to have people where you just know they're keeping it real, mm-hmm. keeping it real with you. And so that kind of leads me into what has been some of your, like, I say best moments, but like your favorite moments as a physician, mm-hmm. um, even though maybe it is kind of that that timeline of events that happens with those, those people. I think so. Yeah, definitely that timeline of events. Um, you know, I think the best moments also come in the tragedies. Um, I, you know, I, I think we all are human. We all have to question ourselves and, and medicine is no different. I mean, if you think you're perfect, you're in the wrong career because last time I checked, I'm not. So, mm-hmm. you know, we all try our best. So it's, sometimes you'll have those really bad things just happen. And, um, I've had a few over the years happen to patients. I had a nine year old female, um, patient die of a brain tumor. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, recently I had a a lady in her 40s die of a heart attack in her sleep and um you know I think those moments are the worst but they can transfer into the best because the family those families continue to come in and they continue to come in for support and actually this last week oh my gosh I almost cried talking about it but um the husband of the female that I had die um walked down the hallway and he, he turned around and he said I just want to thank you so much. Everybody just loves you and I love you so much and we appreciate you. And you know, I, I watch this as, as a, as a physician, you feel like what happened, you know, I'm not God and, and I don't have the power to predict what will happen, but you always question yourself. Like, could I have changed something? Could I have done something? Could I, you know, and you want to do that because it makes you better. But on the flip side, you, that relationship then with the family to come back in and fill you up a little bit by saying, I appreciate you. Thank you. And you're going, wow, those are the best moments. You know, I think those tragic moments can transfer into the best moments in your practice because, you know, and additionally seeing the whole families, I mean, you take care of these families, my little girl that passed away, I mean, you take care of her grandma and her mom and you watch these things as they trans- transform and it, they're tragic medically speaking and you hate it as a doctor we we really hate it I mean I hate it I, I just wish that those things didn't even exist but I can't control them and so having that relationship in primary care is huge you know we get that we don't get the the you know necessarily savior stuff but we get the relationship of of being a part of these people's lives and getting invited. I just got invited to an 80 year old's birthday party and I got invited to a step. I mean, we got invited to a lot of events. We probably do too. I've, yeah. I've been invited to people's renewal of their vows. Yes. And, yes. <laughs> and it's so sweet. And, you know, um, just having them appreciate that little 80 year old that came in this week said to me, you know, I know you're my doctor, but I, I, you're also my friend. So I want to invite you to my 80th birthday party. <laughs> I said, okay, thank you. You know, okay. it's so precious. And yeah. I, that's the biggest reward with primary care is that relationship for sure. Yeah, no, that's great. And it, to me, it makes sense too, why maybe you chose to be a family physician over just doing more acute care in other ways, because there is that relational piece to it. And Absolutely. You to, and you form the relationship long term. So yeah, whole family. Cool. Yeah. I mean, great grandparents down to babies. It's, it's kind of cool. That yeah. is really cool. Very cool. And my last question for you is, what is your spirit animal? <laughs> oh, 
So, I had to look that one up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Yeah. Um, I would have said a horse. Yeah. I, I, mainly because I guess I don't really truly understand what a spirit animal is. But uh-huh. I love horses. They're my favorite animal. But apparently I did a little quiz and I'm a wolf. You're a wolf. Oh, are you an INFJ? What does that mean? Oh, the, the Myers-Briggs. <laughs> Uh, personality indicator. Oh, no, I've done all sorts of different ones. Is that like the harmonizer personality Mm -hmm. type? It's the like, uh, you introvert. I forget some of them, honestly. Feeling, judgment, intuition. Interesting. But anyway, it's it's kind of a popular one that most like yes. psych students go through at some point in go their psych student. <laughs> we, I have not done that yeah. one specifically. Yeah. I um, I would say, I guess, I did a test that was given. I don't know, but it was a harmonizer persister was what they called my personality. Interesting. It must have been a different test, and I don't know exactly what it's called. To be honest with you, I've heard of that one. I haven't done it myself, but I've heard of that one because yeah. people will tell me this is what I am, and I'm like, oh, tell me yeah, more. like <laughs> like peacemaker. Yeah. Your environment matters a lot to you, mm-hmm. and I. It's funny. Ever since I did that one, which I'll have to look at the bars today. What's it called? Myers Briggs. Myers Briggs. Yep. yep. Um. But it's, I came into my practice, which is like 12 doctors, and I'm like, oh, he's a harmonizer. He's this. He's this. Because you can pick up on it, you know, oh, quickly. Funny. I like, like, I wanted my office decorated a certain way. I don't like, like, a lot of posters on the boards. I want it to feel like you walk into a bedroom when you come in my exam room. I just mm-hmm. love that. Mm-hmm. And then the doing everything because it's right. That's the persister side. You know, mm-hmm. do it the right way. Do it the right way. Do it the right way. Yes. Um. But yeah, I think, I guess in general, the wolf is like, you know, still a bit of a leader, a little, but still cares a lot about the pack and the pack importance of everybody being happy around you type of thing. Yeah, that's cool. That's because I, so it's funny, when I took that test, I was a, or when I was doing it based off Myers-Briggs, of course, um, I was a dog. (laughs) And the introverted part of my, if I were more introverted, I would be a wolf. Oh. And so it was interesting to see. I'm a little more introverted than you. Maybe. Interesting. Maybe. I think by nature I am an introvert. And this yeah. whole thing, um, you know, uh, so with my blog I was doing this whole thing, this course, and she's doing this thing, a course director this year called Doing It Scared. And my sister is, I love my sister, she's amazing. But I said, this is my year of doing it scared. And mm-hmm. uh, because I'm, I think by nature I am an introvert, but this is my year of just kind of trying different things and putting it out there and just being brave. And she goes, you should use the word be brave. How about we don't use the word doing it scared? Mm-hmm. I said, that kind of is nice. I like yeah. that. We're being brave this year. Yeah. <laughs> being brave. And having fun with it, really. Yeah. It is fun to try something different. I mean, I think in what I do, and you may experience this too, where I go into three little exam rooms all day long. And I didn't realize how I would feel about that. Um, it, it's it's a little bit stifling, you know. I don't know what's happening outside. I don't know. And so I think you get into it's so over, you know, what I do for a living is so overpowering and becomes your whole life that you kind of have to stop. And, and I had a big birthday this year. I turned 40. And so I was like, hey, I'm going to start finding some things that help bring me up and build me up too. And yeah. so... Um, that's what kind of got me on this whole different path of going outside my comfort zone, my introvert comfort zone, I guess, to get back to what we were initially talking about. Yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's great. I think, I mean, at any point of our lives, like anything that pushes us into our, or out of our comfort zone, rather, is is good. And I like the 
I like being brave and I like doing it scared and I'll just say why. Like, cause for me, <laughs> like when I'm doing stuff, I don't typically associate it with braveness at first. It's like after the fact, I'm like, oh, I was brave. But like in the yeah. moment, I'm like with my anxiety. I yeah, yes. I was so brave. Yeah. <laughs> um, but your anxiety, well, at least for me, like um, with my anxiety, I say, I can do things anxious, like even while I'm anxious or even while I'm scared. Yeah. Because as a recovering perfectionist, I think I used to always feel like I had to feel good or even maybe not even the perfectionist in me, but for whatever reason, I always felt like I'd have to feel like something felt right to do it mm-hmm. at times or I had like things had to be peaceful enough. But I also realized that life happens and there was never going to be a point in time where things were going to feel good, especially when you're trying something different and when you're making a change. It's not like it feels good. I mean, part of the change and growth is that it feels uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable while you do yeah. it. So yeah. I had to get, I had to be good with like, okay, I can do this even while it doesn't feel great. You know, like yes. even while I'm, this may be an uncomfortable pain yeah. point or scary for me, like I can still do it. Like I had to have that self-narrative yes. for myself. You know, but that's helpful for me. I don't know if it's helpful for other people. Um, but, and I say that because I'm, so that the, if I were to recommend one like personality test and I put this in parentheses because um, yeah. it's very, it's very more existential and kind of spiritual um, and not like necessarily like religious, but more just spiritual is the Enneagram test. And I'm a seven on the Enneagram and sevens avoid pain. Like that's our, like that's our, Thing that we avoid in life and um, we always want to have fun and we like to we can also get ourselves into too many projects and we're called the enthusiast and that's that's our thing um, but our we avoid pain and so for me it's important that I am okay with it and yeah. so I say okay I'm gonna do this I'm, I'm gonna, gonna do it scared I'm gonna do it scared it is very true it, yeah. it's so true that you say that I mean I my personal story I was I was pregnant with my daughter my first semester of medical school and I was going to a Caribbean island. Um, and so, yeah, it was a, it was a big moment, but it speaks to what you say because everybody always looks back and says, how did you do that? Mm. I was like completely doing it scared. I had no idea what else I could do. I'm doing it. it. Like I'm here. (laughs) I mean, I don't know where else could I be. So I'm just here and here we go, you know? So yes, you're right. I mean, looking back on it, it's like, Oh, you're, that was amazing feat. At the time, I was just getting through every day. I was yeah. doing it scared completely. Yeah. Because <laughs> what else were you going to do, right? That was yeah, it. That was all it. I had. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. So I know that you work a lot with women with on weight issues, but you also mm-hmm. work just a lot with, I mean, the whole family. But sure. I have certain things that I'm kind of curious, you know, to pick your brain about. Um so I was wondering if you could tell us more about thyroid issues and some of the big misconceptions that we may have in our field, because that's, again, that's something I'm still learning yes. a lot about as well. Thyroid disease. Yes. Yeah. Thyroid disease is a big one. Um, so it's like a buzzword, I feel like. Right it's now. a total buzzword. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and I think there's a big reason for that. Um, in my opinion, look at thyroid disease. I mean, if, if you think you have thyroid disease, it could answer for a lot of the biggest problems in your life. Yes. (laughs) I mean, thyroid disease is, so having low thyroid levels. So I tell my patients to think of your thyroid as your metabolism. Mm -hmm. So it's a really nondescript hormone. It's kind of all over the place. But if you think about it as your metabolism, it makes a lot more sense. So having low thyroid levels inherently means that you're going to be 
having the symptoms of having low me metabolism. So things like feeling tired all the time, gaining weight, mm -hmm. having constipation, having hair loss, having swelling. These are, minus the swelling probably, these are things that like women in the United States today all have. You right. know, I mean, right. it is... Who doesn't feel more tired than they should? Who hasn't packed on a few extra pounds? Mm -hmm. You know, who doesn't, you know, especially as women go through menopause and those sorts of things, start to have a little hair loss and things like that. So I think that generally, I mean, it's such an interesting phenomenon to me because I rarely, I mean, I could count on one hand the number of times I've had a man ask me about their thyroid levels. Really? Yes. They ask yeah. about testosterone. Okay. Um, <laughs> that, okay, that makes, that makes sense. But they don't think of thyroid, but women yeah. do. And so frequently they come in and ask about, well, could it be my thyroid? And I think it, it leads to a lot of misconceptions about thyroid disease. Um, and so, yes. It absolutely could be your thyroid. And yes, it is okay to check your thyroid levels. And typically doctors are not against that by any means. Mm -hmm. But it's usually not your thyroid. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, I mean, usually it's not. And even if it is, there's not a good chance that you're going to have a lot of weight loss by starting thyroid replacement. Mm -hmm. um, studies show that only about 50% of patients will lose weight at all with starting a thyroid replacement. And mm -hmm. usually that's like less than 10 pounds. Okay. So, um, the thyroid in and of itself, yes, I mean, it, it can be blamed for a lot of things, but really, truly, those levels need to be off in order for you to start feeling relief of your symptoms by starting a replacement. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's another big thing. This whole thing, and I actually just did a post today about extra, thi or extra thyroid testing. I don't know if you've heard people talking about that, but mm -hmm. it's kind of the second rate where patients will come in and say, well, what about those extra tests? Like, I hear doctors don't really check everything they need to check for for mm -hmm. their thyroid. So, like, alternative medicine tests? No, it's actually, it's actually looking at, so our initial test is thyroid hormone levels. Okay. It, it makes sense. Like, if we're checking for a thyroid disease, which... You know, it can be high thyroid levels or hyperthyroid, but the vast majority is hypothyroid or low thyroid levels, which mm -hmm. hyperthyroid causes the opposite of symptoms. Mm -hmm. So it's like an overactive metabolism. So think of it like weight loss, heart racing, sweating all the time, mm -hmm. those sorts of things. Your metabolism is almost on overload with hyperthyroid, but that's less less um, frequent and it's really not something that patients ask about a lot mm -hmm. um so the hypothyroid is is looking at the causes then of what you're what what is making your thyroid too low mm -hmm. and and the a lot of that is related to autoimmune disease mm -hmm. um and that's related to antibodies or basically your immune system um attacking your thyroid so then it doesn't produce enough thyroid hormones so as physicians, our first level is always checking the thyroid hormone levels. That's really the mainstay for your treatment anyway. I mean, but the second testing, the extra testing that people always want to know about is checking for your immune system, checking for mm -hmm. antibodies in your immune system to the thyroid itself. Okay. So I, I have a great example of that because I have thyroid disease and my sister has thyroid disease. We both have what the autoimmune form, which is called Hashimoto's thyroiditis, mm -hmm. the big fancy word for mm -hmm. low thyroid levels that is caused by your immune system attacking the thyroid itself. Okay. That's what that means. There are multiple forms of thyroid disease, but that's the big one that, that people want to know about. And, it, and it's kind of the, the biggest one. Um, so you know, patients will look different even with that. So then you have a diagnosed thyroid disease with that, right, at this point. Um, so I had it. My sister had it. We both had 
the elevated antibodies, which is the second level of testing. Okay. But how do you get to that, I think, is, is the other side. And so with that, um, usually you're getting to that antibody testing if your levels are sort of not adding up. They're borderline. So if you're obviously hypothyroid, and that's kind of a complex discussion, but um, that means that your TSH, which is your thyroid stimulating hormone, is actually high, mm-hmm. and your thyroid level hormone levels themselves are actually low. Um, it's so there's multiple tests involved in this process, and sometimes those tests can come back where one's off and the other isn't. Or you know, say for me, my TSH was high um, because that's the hormone that stimulates the thyroid to make more hormones. So that goes high in low thyroid disease most of the time. There are rare cases where they both go low, but most of the time they, they that goes high, and then your thyroid hormone itself will go low. And so that was my case. My TSH was high, but my T3 and T4 were normal. So then we go to drawing the antibodies. And the antibodies predict your future risk of thyroid disease, basically. It tells us that you do have a thyroid disease, but they predict the fact that you will then go on to having low thyroid levels. Mm -hmm. So, for example, um, my sister had um, hers. We both have positive antibodies. Mm-hmm. My TSH was high. Her TSH was high. My thyroid T3 and T4 were normal. Mm-hmm. Hers were low. Mm-hmm. So I went to my primary doctor. She, of course, sent me to the endocrine specialist who said, okay, you can do what you want at this point. So mm-hmm. I was having symptoms. I was tired, but I was also in medical school at the time. And and so um, I had weight gain, but I gained a lot of weight in medical school, so I don't think it was all my thyroid. So mm-hmm. um, the, he gave you the option. I decided to start it and I didn't feel any different. So I quit it. My sister, on the other hand, started it. She's never gone back. She's needed more, but she can tell if she doesn't take it for a day. Wow. I can go on and off. Now I've, I finally reached a point and it's been probably 12 years where I really do need it as, at a, on a daily basis. So I think there's the biggest misconceptions around thyroid disease are a few different things. One um, you know, it, the fact that it, having thyroid replacement is going to answer for your tiredness, your weight gain, your constipation, your cold intolerance, all of these things aren't necessarily even true if you have a diagnosed thyroid disease. Mm-hmm. Yes, you do need to replace the thyroid if you have diagnosed thyroid disease. I think the biggest differences that I see in my patients, I do think that doing thyroid replacement helps with the fatigue, the tiredness all the time. Mm-hmm. It helps with the constipation. It can help with the hair loss. It doesn't always help with the weight gain because the weight gain is usually bigger than just low thyroid levels. Right. That's maybe one. That's like a part. I usually talk yes. about people's eating issues as like a cake where yes. there's all these different ingredients and then it has to be baked in the right kind of environment, which typically is stress and trauma and just other things. Um, but yeah, but that's one part yes. of the cake, so to speak. might be the flour, but it's not the whole cake. It's not going to be the whole cake. You know, I've had a few patients over the years. I mean, probably my patient with the highest TSH, so the most off thyroid hormone levels that I've ever seen, she really did start, and I think hers normal is like 4.5 is the high. Hers was 100. So she was, I don't even yeah. know how she was getting out of bed this morning, yeah. to be honest with yeah. you. Um, 
but she she did start it and she lost literally like 30 pounds from that but the vast majority like i said only 50 percent are going to lose weight at all to mm-hmm. begin with and it may be a few pounds mm-hmm. you know i think i think thyroid like you said is a buzzword it's become kind of a scapegoat for life and i think it's so much easier to look, and, and, you know, this is my world, so I see it more than anybody else, but it's so much easier to look at one little hormone in my in my body that could be off, that could be causing all of these problems, than look at your life and saying, I'm trying to do too much, I'm tired, I'm worn out, I'm not putting myself first, I'm not eating a healthy diet, right. you know. And, and as physicians, I think in general, we're not, I don't mind drawing thyroid levels for patients. I mean, I, I don't think it's unreasonable to come ask me. But I do think it's it's important that patients have reasonable expectations of what that means. For me, my Hashimoto's thyroiditis meant nothing for like 12 years, and I had the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, my weight was at one of the lowest it had been when I actually needed to start thyroid replacement. Interesting. And really, my you know, I'm I'm a physician. We don't make the best patients, but my doctor was like, okay, now you have to take it, you know. And and I have, and I definitely noticed an improvement in my tiredness. Um, but that's probably the biggest difference. Mm-hmm. And Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Uh-huh. Is that okay. Yes. Is that different than Hashimoto's? No. Same okay. Thing. They're the same. Same thing. thing. Okay. Yes. Gotcha. That is Hashimoto's. Okay. Hashimoto's is inherently, um, well, to real to simplify it, a low thyroid disease, mm-hmm. a disease of low thyroid hormone production that's mm-hmm. caused by your body's immune system attacking the thyroid mm-hmm. um, and causing it to not produce correctly. It's very common, you know, um, it ru- does tend to run in families, mm-hmm. as you can see with autoimmune diseases. Yeah. Um, and, and having one autoimmune disease does put you at slight increased risk of having another autoimmune disease. Yeah. So um, you get all of that kind of spectrum. Um, but a lot of times even, I, I think some patients don't even end up getting the antibodies drawn. They don't even know what form of thyroid disease they have because their levels are so off, they just start replacement. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the mainstay of treatment, for, be it Hashimoto's or any other type of low thyroid disease, is thyroid replacement. It's going to be the same no matter what mm-hmm. because it's just putting the hormone back in so you, you're back to normal levels. Right. And one of, one of the conversations that I've had with... Um, and other therapists and other people that have been like more on the medical side of things is how hard it can be to tell if it's actually a thyroid issue or if it's depression or if it's something. I'm wondering like how your experience has been with that, with like the mental health and then the physical health, either, you know, it being both issues or kind of not knowing it wasn't the chicken or the egg, right? Like, because they're so integrated in different ways that a lot of people who struggle with autoimmune issues can have a lot of mental health issues too, or it's kind of like these feed into the autoimmune issues or, you know, it tends to, like, to me, it just seems to be bi-directional, but, and that's what a lot of, you know, I what I've read says too, but I, you know, again, I'm not going to say I know all there is to know because I don't either. I'm not. Yeah, all knowing myself, <laughs> which is yeah, I'll be the first to admit it. Yep. No, I did. Yeah. Um, I I um, actually uh, have done a lot of research into fatigue too. I mean, if you look medically speaking into the number of things that can ta- cause fatigue, it's ridiculous. I mean, it, the list is like thirty. I mean, mm. thirty things, and it mm-hmm. is everything we look at. You know, when we're nailing it down from low thyroid levels to depression to sleep apnea, Mm -hmm. to kidney disease. I mean, these are just very nondescript symptoms that could be so many things. And a lot of times it's more than one. 
right. one together. Right. Like, you know? like for, I mean, again, we're, we like to think A equals B equals C, but there's usually just so many different complex factors working together yes. um, that it's not always as easy as just take a pill or just do yes. this. <laughs> yes. Right. Yes. It's, I think that you probably see this in your world, but um, this growing kind of pill mentality um, a pill fixes everything, a pill fixes everything, um, is, it's just something I see growing and growing and growing, and, um, it's just not realistic. You know? Yeah. It's just not realistic in the medical yeah. world either. We are not, I mean, I think for the most part, physicians get put on this track of just wanting people to take more medicine, but, oh my gosh, I mean, you, you end up fixing pills with pills and no one wants to do that you know right with side effects of one medication needing another medication needing another medication that is just um it becomes overwhelming it's expensive and it's um mm -hmm. it's not a way to live if you can avoid it right and can cause other issues on top of what you're already experiencing but absolutely i'm sure you're also seeing where there's resistance where you know my um, boyfriend's father is a physician mm -hmm. and he's talked about how he's like, yeah, I'll tell people to do X, Y, or Z or try this first, but they won't do it. They won't do it. And so it's one of those things where it's like, it's not, you know, I think people are like, oh, you know, doc, I think in the alternative medicine world or some other people that are more, are more into the functional stuff can look at um, traditional medicine and be like, oh, you know, they're just prescribing medications and getting paid by the pills they, they give out. But really, I don't think it's that way. I think what's more true is that people have that perception like you said that a pill is going to fix it and they get fixated on that Absolutely. and they don't want to try anything else or they won't and you're like well this pill will help at least a little bit and manage the symptoms that you're not willing or able to manage in other ways so I think you, know, you hit on a keyword there willing yeah. willing it's about willingness yeah you know and I think the other part that the traditional medicine that we get a kind of a bad rap on is that there is a, um, I think where that pill, like just pushing the pill, two things come into play with that. Number one, um, patients expect something when they walk out of your office. They mm -hmm. Now everybody's insurance is expensive. They've paid a copay to get in there. It's not typically free visits like it used to be. Mm -hmm. And so if there is the possibility of anything, they don't want to have to come back. And right. pay again, and right. and in primary care especially, there's a lot to be said about follow up. You know, if if I can, and, and that's part of what I wanted to focus on with my blog because there's so many times when patients could do things at home that they don't need to come into, um, and for if they would just do that trial first and then come in after. You know, but right. instead they come in on day two. And they're going, well, what if I'm not better in five days? And you're going, well, I really would like you to give this 10 days. You know, um, I think it's viral, for instance. You know, I, I would like you to give it some time. I want you to try these things in the meantime. But they're afraid that they'll have to come back in and get that copay, pay that copay again and do see you for the exact same thing. And why do I have to come back again? You know, right. right. Um, and the other thing that plays into that is, it's a lot, physicians need to do a good job of realizing, and we know this, that it takes a lot longer to explain to someone all of that than to write a prescription for the pill that they want. That's true. You know, and so, so it's a lot more work on our part, and we have learned this, especially through antibiotic resistance, we have to do that. We have to be the point that we are assigned to be, that is our job to be, which is the point that's practicing good stewardship 
and drawing those barriers because otherwise they're not going to work for anybody in the end. You know, mm-hmm. our bodies are so smart. Bacteria are so smart. Viruses are so smart. They mutate. They change. Right. They become resistant. And we know that. So we need them to work when they need to work. Yeah. But so I think just back to the pill mentality, you know, where you hear the traditional medicine versus alternative medicine. Um, I think that's where that wrap comes in with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just, yeah. And the context of where that person is practicing out of too. And yeah. knowing that sometimes, you know, your schedule gets booked with all these different clients and you're trying to serve them and you only have 15 to 20 minutes with right. a client. And yeah. it's, it's so hard to get into all of that and do all, all that you probably would given more time. And if, if our system kind of honored that people need more time for that, um, yes. and physician pay for that too, You're correct. Um, You're then correct. yeah, it would be a different world, but there's system limitations in that as well. Yes. So, You're right. You're yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, I hope that people understand that on both sides so that they can maybe be more receptive or willing to, to kind of, look at the big picture on that um yeah so that actually hold on one second
So just an FYI, I just plugged in a power cord so we didn't lose everything that we were talking about. Um, but the next question that I wanted to ask you was, you know, how do you motivate patients to make changes? And like, you know, if they're struggling with the willingness piece, like have you found anything that's effective or is that maybe an ongoing, you know, question mark of how do we do that? I think it's, well, it's definitely a work in progress. I mean, I would never claim to have all the answers on it. I think that a couple of things that are kind of a blessing in the primary care world is where I have found the best place to motivate it, two things. First is making sure that you're recognizing where they're coming from. I don't think we, you know, our language is a different language than most people speak. I think actually the medical world qualifies as its own language. It's got enough terms and things like that. So um, a lot of times, you know, we don't, we don't really realize the barrier. Like, I, I think we think patients may know more than they do, or for instance, in terms of like antidepressants or those, that's really tends to be a class where I, I have found patients have preconceived notions all the time. They do not want to be on Zoloft, but Prozac is the best medicine in the world. Or, yes, huh. I just had a patient in this last week who said I had give, given her a prescription for Wellbutrin, and she said, I did not take it. And I said, why didn't you take it? And she said, because it causes weight gain. I said, it's actually like the one out there that really doesn't. Yeah. I mean, where did you read that? You know, where did you hear that? Well, one of my friends said it happened to her, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think just, first of all, finding out, taking the time to understand where they're coming from. Yeah. I've had so many patients, like, um, especially with things that are injections, your diabetes medications, your mm -hmm. insulin they, they are just at that barrier. You are drawing a line in the sand. They are not going to do it until you stop and you talk them through um, wh where is the barrier coming from? What is their fear with it? Mm -hmm. And then the other side of it that is a blessing for us is we've got lab results. You know, we've got numbers. And right. Although you don't necessarily feel numbers, and that that's tricky. Um, the statin class specifically with cholesterol medications, oh, man, those are hard to get people to take. Because they don't feel it, mm -hmm. but I can show them numbers, and numbers help. Yeah. And so, for instance, like with your diabetic patients, to say to them, you know, you're starting here. I need you here. I've got this many meds that can get you there. We're not getting there, short yeah. of that. You know, right. how important is this for your health? You know, um, so those those are the biggest things that I found I found to be the most helpful. Looking at really realistic, um, objective objective findings that you can narrow down and, and and making sure that you're assessing where they're really coming from and what their barrier is. Yeah. Well, because like you said, sometimes people don't tell you yes. until you're kind of, you know, you've given them one prescription and then they come in the next time and they're like, I didn't take it because of the weight gain stuff. And you're just like, wait, where did that come up in our conversation? This is what's so um, funny about primary care is that people will come in and they don't really know why they're there. Yeah. They're there because you told them to be there. And this specific patient literally came back for her month follow-up on her Wellbutrin and never took it. She filled it oh my and never took it. And I said... Well, you're here today, right, for your follow-up your well-future. She came for the follow-up appointment, but she never took the medication. Right. Um, and, and that doesn't always happen. But, but you know, when it does happen fairly, it's kind of funny. You go, 
wow, I love your trust and lack of trust in me. It's like happening all at once. All in one. You totally trust me, but you don't trust me at all. Good to know. Yeah. And, and I think you're so right in saying, like, assuming we think people know what we're talking about. I found that in many different areas where I'll be talking about something, especially when I'm talking about, like, differentiation like a you know jargon word in therapy or like boundaries even like you know I'll I'll have assumptions that people know like the basics about boundaries and then I've really gone through it with people and I'm like holy crap they have no idea what boundaries mean you know (laughs) and I'm like yeah you gotta set good boundaries and they're like Great. Yeah. Yeah. And then I realized like, funny they really don't know what it means. They would know what that meant, but yeah. people don't. You're right. Or they have like one part of it because, you know, there's physical, there's emotional, there's intellectual, there's like all these yeah. different types of boundaries we can set. So they might be like super good at physical boundaries, but then horrible with like emotional boundaries, you know, and it's, it's just fascinating because people are like, I'm so good at boundaries. And I'm like, okay, let's find out. <laughs> let's really look into this, you know, because they just didn't, they never learned like fully what boundaries were and it and it makes sense because we don't really talk about boundaries in school you know we inherit our understanding of boundaries and the ways of communicating with people and having relationships with ourselves through our family of origin um and so yeah I mean it it totally makes sense but it's kind of funny I've learned the hard way a few times you know assuming my clients understood what I was talking about and they're like oh yeah I got that and then later on I'm like wait I thought we were good with that but Here we are, (laughs) you know. It's interesting you say that because being, like I said, being the third generation physician, uh, one of the biggest lessons I had to learn, boundaries as a physician. You know, I grew up with a dad who worked, 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 and his expectation of himself was providing for my family. My mom stayed home, Mm -hmm. you know. So figuring out those boundaries and that balancing as a female physician who is a mom, who was a single mom for a long time, who tried to do it all on her own. Wow, it's a whole different How world. did that go, by the way? Um, <laughs> Doing it all. Yeah, yeah, I was. I was a single mom when I, by the time I came back before residency, I was divorced, and I was a single mom for a very long time. Um, it worked. We yeah. made it work. Um, yeah. I, have, I have a mother who was a stay-at-home mom who was fabulous and so supportive, and um, thank God for her. Um, and I have a great, I have really, really good friends um, mm-hmm. who just are my build-up. We still do. We I call it my therapy lunch. Yeah. <laughs> we do a once-a-month lunch with two of my best girlfriends from residency. Mm-hmm. And um, it is, it's basically, I mean, that's my build-up, you know. And then the schedule just had to work. But, yeah, I had to reset expectations of myself, you know. Those boundaries have to be different if you are not, if you have no one else at home, you know. If you... Right. You can't be doing that. So it, it, I think even in educated people, you, you have to learn your own boundaries and you have to figure out a way to set them for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, and even though I know what boundaries are, it does not mean that I'm good at them all the time. I'm still awful. And in every area of my life, yeah. I'm like, you know, just because I know what they are doesn't mean I always practice them. Yes. Um, I've got, I feel like I've definitely, like, it's funny, if I look over like, longer time periods of my life, I'm like, yes, I've gotten better, right? <laughs> and I find it more helpful to be like, okay, five years ago to today versus, like, you know, month to month because, you know, there are things that I grow in and then I'll go back into other areas and then I'll grow and yes. that's just our humanity, yes, it right? it is true, as long as it's forward mo- movement, right? Yes. <laughs> just being a therapist, I, I like joke with people, I'm like, 
you know, just being a therapist makes me more aware of what I need to work on, <laughs> you know, yeah. knowing that I'm always like, I know what to do. On yeah. Right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. But I do, I do love, you know, practicing what I preach and I feel like I do grow, you know, from my clients. I learn a lot from them too. Absolutely. So it's kind of a really cool profession in that way. And I mean, kudos to you for, for being Wonder Woman and, you know, doing all the things, even though I know you're like, I, you know, for most people are like, I didn't like choose that necessarily, yes. but yes. I feel like there's a lot of cultural pressure for women to do it all and yes. to not have good boundaries and to think Absolutely. of themselves last and to Absolutely. wear their exhaustion as a badge of honor and... You yeah. are right. I um, so, read this fabulous article and I just... Um, did a post on that with burnout, physician burnout. Physician burnout is such a growing thing. And, you know, practicing true self-care is about self setting boundaries. Mm-hmm. It's not about going and getting a manicure, you know. Right, right. And I said it there. I used to get my nails. I had. I actually started that after I had a few male patients, strangely. It's the weirdest thing when you do this long enough, you watch these trends. Mm-hmm. And I had male patients commenting on my nails that they weren't painted. It's really? weird. I actually, I now, so I, I, I started getting my nails done. And, yeah. and um, the funny thing was then women started commenting on liking my nails. <laughs> they that were commenting so on funny. it. Yeah. But it's funny. You see these trends and it just goes, I, I feel like maybe it is a little inappropriate to be commenting on your female physician's nails, but whatever, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm not easily offended. So right. I was like, all right, I'll get them done. But all that became was another job. It was another thing, yeah, and at the time I was a single life. mom physician, it was another thing I had to do. You know, I probably mm-hmm. should have practiced some boundaries, Yes, and, and boundaries are a struggle for me still. Um, but yes, I mean, it, it's so true that burnout potential is huge, you know, yeah. and, and you see it, and I think for us, um, especially for us young females who are trying to do it all, putting comparing ourselves to the standards of the old ways when they weren't doing it all. Right. You know, they weren't right. doing it all. Um, it's really hard, and it can be super detrimental. It can. And that perception, like, I think there's that extra layer for women that it, it exists for men, but it's much more so for women that you've got to look good while you're doing it, right? Yeah. Your nails have to be good while yeah. you're doing it, right? <laughs> well, yeah. Um, and just that interesting kind of pressure we feel in that regard, too, and, like, how much time we put into our appearance and making sure we look good enough and our self-worth and how we look and that sort of thing but anyway being working with eating disorders and body image I could totally go on a tangent there which I yes. won't but um but yeah you're totally right it's not about adding more to your to-do list at times right yeah it's kind of funny how you're like okay that feels like more and that was more. Yeah. yeah well and it's funny I was joking even this morning like I've been trying to do the blonde thing and I, I like it I like my hair both brunette and blonde um but I've been meaning to, I missed my last appointment because I had something going on at work and I had to reschedule. And we have been playing phone tag for four weeks now for me uh, to get a freaking, highlight. get into my um, yes. hair colorist. I'm like, yes. this is becoming like a chore for me <laughs> to get my, you know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, and, I'm, and it's nothing on her. I mean, she's great. So she's booked a lot and I'm crazy yes. busy. So we're trying to play Tetris with you our schedules. Yes. And I'm like, you know, it's so funny because. Like, obviously, on my priority list, that's pretty low. So I'm like, you know, I'm going to be brunette by the time I go back. You know, it's just like, it's just one of those funny things. It's another thing you got to get done. Yeah. I'm like, where am I going to fit that into my week? Like, I don't. Yeah. 
<laughs> because it's well and for me like I have a million hairs on my head I have all the hair and so it takes it takes like three hours and so it's like it's a commitment and usually they don't have you know evening or weekend appointments available very often so I'm just like the ones everybody wants right right so it's kind of funny having to figure that out but yeah so self-care is about you know it's about the unsexy unglamorous stuff like setting (laughs) boundaries and hard stuff yeah and saying no more and yeah and saying no to yourself more too because that's my thing is I'm like I'll do everything um oh yes I'm the queen of doing everything yes I can do it all I can do it all, and society will support me in that, right. in running myself ragged. It's great. Right. Oh, they will, yes. Actually, the, the funniest thing about my husband, it's one of the, the best things he's done for me. Mm-hmm. He will say, you are enough. You are done. You are done. done. You go back. You stop now. You're going to make... And I think part of it came, I got really sick. I was older when I had my recent, my daughter, and so mm-hmm. I had gestational diabetes with the pregnancy, and I ended up back in the hospital after week, a week after she was born with preeclampsia, so I think part of it is just drawn by fear. <laughs> He's yes, like, I can't like, lose you. Yeah, I couldn't handle this without you, yeah. um, but it's really cute to watch because he's now trying to set boundaries for me because I'm that bad at it. <laughs> yeah. He's like, you're done. Yeah, he's like, no here's more. your boundary. No more. He made me promise before I say yes. I will run it by him now. <laughs> oh, that's kind of, I mean, that's that. maybe that's a healthy thing, yeah. right, for you to actually take a second thought and not, you know, because I think yes can be so automatic for people. Yeah. Um, but I, I was actually listening to another podcast, and it was talking about how it really should be, like, a heck yes. Like, you should not say yes to something unless you're like, no, I'm actually genuinely excited, excited about, about this. Yeah, I love that. Life is too freaking short for us yeah. to pile on all this stuff where – it's not a heck yes. Yes. You know? Yes. I yeah. agree with that. That's a good so, way to say it. That's been helpful for me because I'm, I'm... Heck yeah. 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 That's great. Um, I'm kind of trying to tie this into maybe, you know, what would be useful for the therapy community to know about the medical community? Because I do think, unfortunately, there's a gap yes. in communication for several reasons, but... Um, I think yeah. that that is probably the biggest thing, is that gap in communication. I think that, um, and also, I, you know, I, I think just knowing your thoughts. I mean, you guys, from a primary care standpoint, we don't have that much time to spend with patients, you know. And, and like we talked about earlier, they may came, come into us complaining of fatigue. Mm-hmm. And we know it's depression-driven. So, or it's, you know, PTSD, or it's anxiety, or it's you know, ADD or these things that we, you know, they, they don't always present to us in that form. They present to us in typically a medical form. Right. So we're trying to throw that in and, and keep in mind, a lot of times this is on top of their diabetes, hypertension, high cholesterol, um, sleep apnea appointment that they go at the end. By the way, why am I tired all the time? Or, you know, <laughs> can we talk about this? And it happens all the time. And we have 15 minutes. Right. Um, to deal with all that. So I think that I would say a couple things. I, I think that the medical community does genuinely appreciate the therapy community. We know that cognitive behavioral therapy helps. We know that these things help. We know that they are beneficial. And frankly, I think a lot of us would like to see patients less on medication if they don't need it, if they can go through therapy. Right. The biggest barriers 
I see is insurance, always insurance, you know, if they can't afford it um, for the visits, for the therapy, if it's not covered by their plan, those sorts of things. So, and then secondarily, um, knowing good counselors to send them to, you know, because we want them to have good experiences. We want them to, um, to come out with beneficial, and I know your job is no easier than mine. You, you know, some people come in here and just sit and stare at you, you know, I mean, how do you pull things out of that? You know, I don't know how you guys do it. And sometimes I think, how do they sit for an hour doing this? You know? yeah. I wonder that a lot, yeah. especially those teenage patients who just won't say a word. And I'm like, okay, plenty, you know, yeah. so it is a work in progress and it is a work that we work that we do together. And so I think Realizing that, you know, physicians do genuinely appreciate the input and the feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, if you feel like you see something that's really overwhelming and, and say to me, you know, I really think this is something that's beyond my spectrum. I do think medication could be helpful in this patient. That means a lot to me when they come back because it means that, you know, with your realm of expertise, you've seen things that are outside the norm it just, it does help. So I think the biggest thing would be communication. Not that you're bothering us. Yes, we are busy. Yes, we see patients every 15 minutes. Yes, we are in and out all day long. But just some simple communication back and forth is really helpful. Yeah, because I there's such a, it's so tricky sometimes. And especially, so even when my good friend, um, you know, was thinking that she was going through a major bout of depression, and she actually found out that she had thyroid issues. And that was yep. what was causing the symptoms that she was having, but it all kind of, you know, added up to depression. So she thought it was that. And until she addressed the thyroid issues and changed different things for that, she wasn't healing. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and vice versa where, yeah, I had a, it was funny. I'm not going to share the name, but it was like a, a person in our community that's, you know, an intelligent, respected person. And they were just sharing with me this funny story about all their panic attacks and like, still not connecting the dots that they might have anxiety, you know? And it was just one of these things that I was like, you know, I was trying to kind of indirectly or politely kind of, you know, (laughs) maybe suggest that they might want to look into that. I recommended a book, but it was just really funny because, like, as they were talking about all these, like, different things to me, they're like, yeah, like, they just still were kind of thinking that that was, like, a physical Mm. issue Mm -hmm. that they were having. It happened a lot. Yeah, I think it's important to note that this happens for long. Any sort of <laughs> intelligence or status Absolutely. or anything of that nature, that there's there's confusion. And you can't always, you know, like we've said, our bodies are so tightly connected that you can't always, like for the thyroid disease, if you can't get that fatigue under control, that depression's going to worsen. You know, there's easy things that for us as doctors, I mean, heck, if you come in and go, I want my thyroid levels checked, bam, check mark, you know it's harder to get further into that in the short time frame that we have. So yes, I mean, the looking into those things, making that connection with the metabolic anemia, anemia is another one that causes symptoms like that. And you're young menstruating females, you know, mm-hmm. hormonal changes mm-hmm. with menopause. Mm-hmm. You see that yeah. low testosterone levels in men, you see that. So there are ways that we could connect, can connect it together, you know, that, that one may be causing the other and vice versa. Right. Or, and, or it's like usually that, you know, combination of things where, you know, people want to see it as like a medical issue, but there's really a lot of stuff going on in their family system or even in their mm-hmm. intimate relationships. And they're like, Oh, I'm not, it's not about that. It's about my hormone levels. And I'm like, right. but you're, you know, you don't realize that your body's 
producing those hormone levels too in response to what's happening in your life every day. Sure. That chronic cortisol levels mm-hmm. and and now with the my new obsession, the obesity code, the insulin levels with mm-hmm. the cortisol. I mean, it, it's interesting. So it's fascinating. And yeah, there's still so much for us to learn. But yes, you're yeah, correct. We don't have all the answers yet. No, and I'm so <laughs> grateful for for doctors and family physicians and people that are working on you know the medical side of things. I was um, funny enough, like that was something. You know, if I didn't go this route, um, there are two other careers that I was like, okay, I feel like I could be happy in. One was as a singer, oh. one, yeah, of all things, um, and then one was as a doctor. That How was funny. always like, yeah, that was always wow. like another career that yeah, I was like, I feel like I could combos. be very happy doing. Oh, and also I was like, I could always, I could see myself being happy being a, um, a voiceover for cartoons or something. Like that would be super <laughs> fun too. But like other, like I just have always had these weird, that. yeah. But yeah, no, I was, I was actually. Um, I was pre-med for a little while before I was like, no, I really want to do the psychology part of it. Because at first I was thinking psychiatry before I really understood mm-hmm. what all went into it's that. It's a little different. Yeah. Um, it is a little different. And it wasn't really, I think, where I wanted to go. So even if I ever did, you know, like the medical side of things, I think I probably would have gone in a different route, not psychiatry. But yeah. um, but anyway, but when I was young and, you know, still figuring everything out, I was like, oh, I'm going to do pre-med. And That's like, funny. Yeah. It's funny the overlap because someone said to me recently, you know, because I do love, I mean, I I think part of what I love about the obesity and treating women and those sorts of things is is I've always struggled with my weight. And so I share that with them. And and, and with those visits, you're allowed, we see patients more frequently with medication. And so um, you get this relationship with them. And someone said to me, maybe you should have been a counselor. Yeah, well, when you were saying that, I was like, she could, I mean, she sounds like she really understands rapport, because that's, that's a huge part of our training, even, because some people, they have to be trained in having a good rapport and building trust with people, Um, and I I don't say that in a bad way, well, maybe I am, maybe I'm being a little judgmental there, I'm calling myself out, but, um, because to me, I was like, this is kind of silly that we have to talk about this, and, you know, as we're getting our master's in, in therapy, but... Um, it doesn't come naturally for it. Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I've always been told I'm very informal with my patients and that's a blessing and a curse. You Mm -hmm. know, I, 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 I mean, it's most, I think it's mostly a blessing, you know, because they feel like they can relate to you. Yeah. But then they call me out on stuff. Like I, I told a patient a few years ago that I was like, oh, my thyroid levels are back and forth, and I don't really need to be on it. And the next time she came in, she's like, are you taking your thyroid medicine? (laughs) I was like, you're not allowed to do that. This line has now been drawn. I'm the doctor. (laughs) That is so funny. It was so cute, though. Like, the tables have turned. Let me tell you about my other issues going on, too. I know. Sometimes sometimes I have to cut them off. I'm like, oh, it's so cute, though. I mean, with the new baby, they'll ask. I mean, I'm like, okay, now back to you, please. Can we talk about you for a little while? This is not about me today. Right. And it's funny. I think it is, yeah, sometimes how clients will want to, they're like, so let's let's talk about you. Yeah. (laughs) Like, me? Wait. Yeah. Really? Okay. You're going to pay me to talk about me? Okay. (laughs) All right. Let's talk about me. (laughs) Totally kidding. I I love me. No, it's just so funny. I had a a teenage boy that, like, it's so, because he just had a hard time really getting into stuff. So part of his, like, the dance we would do in, in getting him comfortable was, like, you know, to ask him how things were going and we'd talk about some surface stuff and he'd be like, well, tell me about you. And let's go. And it was just like the funniest boy. thing. Yeah, and he he would he would do that very commonly, and I'd be like, 
well, I can tell you about that. Like, I'd, you know, yeah. very you know, your parents will strategically, love it. right? Like, kind of be like, I'm doing good. Thanks for asking. But also, we uh, we should probably talk about some other stuff. And yes. um, but I just thought it was always sweet how he would be like, I want to talk about you. And I'm like, oh, it's my therapy session. Great. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I love it. So, with a teenage boy. Stuff. With a teenage boy. You have to watch that, though. They yeah, can really throw things. stuff back at you. <laughs> yes, they can. I will say, I usually, I work mostly with women. That is kind of the, the crowd I get. But I do also love working with my, my male clients, too. And every now and then I'll get some teenage boys and some, some men that are in their 60s and, you know, all sorts of different it's clients. intriguing, isn't it? It is. I kind of like having a little mix in there, even though my heart is definitely for women's issues. But I do, because of that, I feel like, I mean, I, I love men too. Like, I, I call myself a feminist, but it's, you know, I call myself more of a humanist now because, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I do think feminist means believing in equality and, and caring about both people. But it's gotten a bad rep because some people have taken yeah. that to extremes. And I'm like, we need we need to support our men as well, because the issue goes both ways, Absolutely. and in the ways that women treat men or have expectations for them, and we're not talking about those issues at all, Yes, and that's a little bit sad, because I'm like, I know we need to give tribute to women's issues, don't get me wrong, we definitely do, and we need to be looking at but how we, don't we are playing men in the process. Right, and how we're playing a role and how we might be reinforcing even their behaviors by what we do. Yes. Right? Because I think we like to point the finger and it's like, well, we yeah, you're not doing well, that. You're not doing that. We have a role to play in, in this too. So. By becoming superwoman. Yeah. I, I, I agree completely. I mean, I look at the difference between my brother, who's now a dad, and, and my husband and my dad. I mean, heck, like, you know... And look at the difference between myself and my mom. My mom is very educated, but, you know, she chose to stay home. And so her life looked so different than mine. And, and my husband helps make that possible. You know, I mean, I, I, I know the difference because I was a single mom for years. So I appreciate that, but I don't always tell him that. Yeah. 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 I can't fill this head too high. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Well, and, and you may tell him in different ways. Yeah. Right? You may not verbally say it, but yeah. And I, I think... Yeah, just honoring that there's different roles that we play and the importance of us just healing as humans so that we can be better humans to whoever we encounter. Um, But yeah, no, and and not having these expectations that men are supposed to be a certain way either. Yeah, it's just so funny. We're like, treat us this way and that, but also do this and that. And I'm like, we can't have it. We can't have all of the things change and we can't put that on men, so... Yeah, but yeah, not to go on a feminist tangent over there, but uh, yeah, so, but yeah, so going into our last four questions, mm-hmm. uh, what is the one thing, or one of the things you wish you knew when you first started as a physician? I think, um, I think it, it a couple different things. I, I think that, first of all, I wish that I knew my boundaries and my place better. I think that I tried to mold myself for years into the position that I had seen my dad be. I started initially in practice with my uncle and um, I think I saw them and I thought I need to, I have to be that. I have to be everything to everyone and I can't set limits because that's what a doctor does. That's what a doctor does. That's what a doctor does. Mm -hmm. That's what a doctor does. 
and don't get me wrong, I still struggle with setting limits, but um, I, and, and my mother was the one who was always trying to pull me back. She said, you remember when you were in residency, you used to say, you'd go by, you'd take Ella to school, you'd go by Starbucks in the morning, then you'd go to your office, and then you'd be done at the end of the day. And she always was trying to pull me back to that, but I was trying to compete with myself in my dad's world. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I was trying to prove to myself I could be that. But I'm not that, you know, and, and I have my own my own pluses, too, that aren't that, you know. So I think learning, I, I wish I had realized from the beginning that I could just be me and that was okay, you know, and I could be this female physician and do things my own way and be okay with that because I am a mom and I now am a wife and I am all these other things as well that I, I wore myself out with it by trying to be what they were. Um, but they had a different structure in place to yeah. support them in order to be them. Right. There was a different world for them. Mm -hmm. And they're different people. Yes. Yeah, very much driven, male driven by that, you know, need to be successful, need to be the busiest, need to be the, the working the longest hours, needing to be, you know, always available. And, and I'm still available. Like I said, you know, I'm always on call. I'm still available to my patients, but I needed to know what my balance would be. And I really struggled with that for a long time because of being in this world that I had seen come, I think especially because of my previous generations of physicians, none of them looked like me. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, yeah. None of them looked like you, and, and they weren't you either, right. and they weren't growing up in this day and age. Right. Absolutely. It's a different world. And, and I always wonder, too, like, where people get their power from, their value from, their worthiness from, or where they're trying to, they're doing things from a place of reacting to wanting to prove something, or, you know, and we all do it. Absolutely. Um, so we all have those kinds of things. So you just never know what's really driving a person in that way, and, you know, how that may not work for you, even if you're like, you know, they're doing it this way, and it's like, well... There's different things going on underneath the surface and different pressures, and maybe even them doing it that way isn't a good thing all the time, right? Yes, yes. Um, and maybe they struggle with their own struggles with balance, right? I've had there was no balance. Right. There was no balance for right. that. And it's a big thing in the medical community with this. You'll hear people say all the time, you know, this next generation of doctors. But it's a difference with balance now. We're trying to balance a life, I think, in, in my generation more so than the previous physicians did. Their identity was being a physician. Right. And my identity still is partially being a physician. I love that about, I mean, I'm very proud of that. I love that. But I'm other things, too. And, and I have to, you know, I have to realize that more than 50% of the graduating physicians now are females. Yeah. It's a different world. It is. And, you know, thank God for the generations that came before us that paved the way, but we don't necessarily have to be that at this point. Right. And that's a, that's a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful thing. And we've maybe even evolved, right? Yeah. Past that. And I, yeah. And it's funny how, you know, people don't really talk about workaholism as much or like the addiction to the identities through their work. But I've had clients too where that's part of their struggle is their whole world revolves around their work and that identity and um, they don't know who they are outside of their work. Absolutely. It's a huge thing for physicians yeah. because there's always, you know, and you, it's probably very similar for you where there are always people who need you. There are always mm -hmm. people you need, who need you. Grey's Anatomy is a perfect extreme example. Extreme you know, like, yeah. what's her name? The, 
the physician whose husband leaves her because she can't leave the OR. But, you know, the truth of the matter is it's true. You know, there are always people, even in, even in primary care, you know, when I, I cut back to part-time a few, about two years ago, I worked three days a week. Don't get me wrong. I don't really work three days a week. I'm on my computer always on my days off. It's not a nine to five job. It still isn't. But, um, you know, when I did that, there were patients of, oh, what will I do? What will I do? You know, how can I survive with you doing that? And, mm-hmm. um, and that's a pull. But I'm, I also have a pull from my children who say, I don't have another mom. You know, I need you around. So mm-hmm. it's a balancing act. And, and I, I, I appreciate that I can practice that balancing act. I mean, there's a lot of women in the world who yeah. can. Right. But it still is a balancing act. It is. <laughs> it is. Totally is. And realizing that it's okay to be a little imbalanced too, because sometimes people get obsessed with like, I need to be balanced. And I'm like, balance is, is what you're working with in that moment, right? And yes. I, yeah, so it's, it's interesting yes. to find that. Because we can also, it's so funny how women can, like, we're like switching towards, we need balance. It's like, let's be perfect at balance. It's yeah, like, we're oh my balance. gosh. Yeah. It's like, oh gosh. We like put our energy towards that instead. It's just like a, a shift of energy, not even a resolution of that so mm-hmm. anyway we're, we're funny humans we are um and so what's like a, a medical or health related book for people in the field or outside of the field that you recommend um oh god there's so many different ones right now i'm obsessed with the obesity code like I told you earlier. <laughs> yeah it's upending our thoughts on on some of this diabetes treatment well there's yeah. specifically the diabetes code which i find really interesting too i think that if you ask people kind of like, and I'm a part of this group called Women Physician Group, and it, or Physician Mom Group, sorry, um, and it's 70,000 physician moms, oh, and we're, right. like, people talk about the obesity code. I think if yeah. you want something that's kind of the rage right now, that's it. And the diabetes code, which is also interesting. Mm-hmm. One of my all-time favorite books, and it's not, it's kind of related to the medical system, is the, the Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks. Did you ever read that one? Mm-hmm. Oh, no. man, if you want to think about how medicine works, it's so interesting. And I think Oprah recently made it into a movie or something. Really? It's so interesting. It's about mm-hmm. a female who was diagnosed, I can't remember if it was cervical or uterine cancer, and her cells were used I mean, for vaccines extraordinaire, and the family saw nothing from it. It's just a really interesting book. It's, it's one that I, I really like. It's not, I mean, it's around the medical field. Um, I, I think also, let me think of other ones. I really like, my daughter is a real, uh, introvert and I like the book Quiet. You probably mm-hmm. know that book. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. I read that when she was younger. She's even more introverted than I am, which you wouldn't know now about me, but <laughs> I pushed myself. Yeah. Those are probably my three big ones. Yeah. Those are great. Yeah. That's awesome. And is there any sort of phrase or quote or not mantra that like, you would say is something that's been relevant for you recently or a favorite quote that you have? I always had in my bathroom when I started residency, I had the, the, she believed she could, so she did quote. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's always kind of been one of my big ones, Mm -hmm. but I recently listened to Brene Brown. I'm sure you know her. I love Brene. Oh Oh my gosh. Did you see her Teddy Roosevelt quote? Yes. It's it's everything. And I can't remember it offhand. But it's just about people just commenting on what you're doing, and um, it's really, it's so good. And she said, you know, I'm sure you know this, but she said, you know, when I saw this quote, it just changed everything for me. Because it's like, 
people who aren't doing it can sit around and comment all they want. Yeah. But the real winners are the people who are in the in, in the, the arena. Uh, in the arena with mm -hmm. the mud all over their face and mm -hmm. and they're the ones who come out in the end. And it's so true. You know, you can sit back and comment on everybody else, but if you're not doing it, what's your life worth? Right. You know, if you're yeah. not trying to change things and trying to make the world better, trying to better yourself, what's what's it worth? Or so being vulnerable, right? In relationships, yes. if you yes. have one partner who's criticizing the other, but they're not willing to put themselves out there and be vulnerable and humble, it's like, hmm, it is not the critic who counts. I love Brene Brown. I have a stack. I'm currently have like a stack of 20 books on my desk and I got like way too many of hers because so I watched her a few, just her few of her videos. She's amazing. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No, I literally, the, the, one of the top three books that I recommend to clients, one is the 10 gifts of imperfection. Mm, I have um, that one. I'm going to so read good. It. And like, yeah. And I've, it was funny because I have, I think I have most of her books. I've lent out a lot of books, which is kind of <laughs> funny because I'm now learning the hard lesson of not really getting them back or at least not timely, yeah, which is, it's yeah, okay. That's, yeah. you know, great. Those people, I'll have to rebuild my book collection, but um, I purchased a lot of them and then I've also gotten the Audible yeah. versions for, yeah, because there, there was one That's that I, I really about. liked actually via Audible better than even reading. Really? I don't know why, like, because I could just, like, listen. I just processed it better which was weird because usually I'm more of a visual person but um but yeah like yeah I'm a big Brene Brown fan girl in my cohort that was like the thing that people would say about me was like you are Brene Brown fan girl yeah because I'd quote her all the time and like, really were, like oh I love gosh. her yeah I love her me too <laughs> she's great she's so I good. loved her talk about when she was talking about her husband and swimming and just kind of understanding where they were both coming from mm -hmm. I mean it makes so much sense there's so many people that are like, I've done that before. Different story, but yes, I've done that before. My voice is telling me you were seeing me in my swimsuit. <laughs> <laughs> and it was about me and all yeah. my insecurities bubbling up, right? But And instead, it is just so funny how at the end he was like, I was having a panic attack. Like, yeah. you know, and just not, you know, realizing where people are at. And that's been a journey for me. And I was even talking about that this morning with a mentor that, um, you know, I've learned how to not, how to be more generous in my assumptions of what people are thinking about me because I had a really hard time of predicting the worst and thinking the worst about what people thought about me, but also just trying to be a mind reader. Like that was, and that's usually a result of different traumas of childhood, but um, or at least for me it was. And I've had to work really hard where I totally see the world completely differently um, That's and a I, lot of work. Yes, and it's not that I never go back into that mode, especially in, in times of high stress. I might find myself doing it, and I'll be like, all right, I'll catch myself in it, and I switch. But, yeah, I used to be a total mind reader, and, like, I'd try to, you know, and I'd assume the worst first about what people were thinking, and I put that in quotation marks, or, you know, how they were doing things in the world. And now I'm like, gosh, I have so much more mental energy now that I'm not trying to feel and assume people's feelings all the time yes. um, and painting a negative picture about them. So, yeah. Isn't that true? Sometimes yeah. we just assume people are thinking so much more than they're helping. Yes. <laughs> yes. And the, and, the, and the, you know, in the transitioning that into something negative as a protective thing that I used to do mm -hmm. from trying to protect myself from, you know, trauma or impending rejection or whatever else that I was afraid of. Um, the list is long, but, <laughs> but yeah, but no, it's just, it's a, it's a journey for all of us. And I feel like she was 
very helpful at putting that into stories and words that like help me not only for myself, but even as a therapist to be able to learn how to you know do that with clients too. Yeah. So I'm sure it's going to help you with your work as well. Yes. With, with your own patience. I'm like, patience or science. Which it's patience. <laughs> it's yeah. patience. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. And so my last question for you is, what is the one question I didn't ask you um, that you see as important to getting to know you or something, or there, or getting to know like medicine or just something we didn't cover that you think would be important to add? Um, and I think we actually kind of touched on it more than I, than I would think, but maybe just the connections that I see between the body and the mind, the therapy world and the medical world, um, you know, how, how important that is. And I, I mean, obviously it's very important. Um, I think that we can be better connected communities wise because we don't necessarily know always in the medical world, you know, the counselors out there who are focusing on different things and what the strengths are just like us, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, you wouldn't know. And patients don't know that. I mean, I, I go back to when, you know, I was a 21 year old girl and went to a physician to look, um, looking at options for contraception and it was not the right physician to go to. And I did oh, not know that. And yeah. so, um, and so, you know, you don't know those things. So I think being able to interconnect it a little bit more and know what what physicians are interested in, because we all do like different things. I like obesity medicine. I like treating diabetes. It's kind of weird. I like, you know, those the um, the health sides of these these kinds of things. And some physicians might like to treat sports medicine more, you know, and especially in our area. They're not necessarily, you won't see as many of the specialists, you know, on the coast and maybe even in Atlanta where you're used to it. You'll see people who subspecialize in everything. Mm -hmm. But in, in Wichita, a lot of the time, it's it's just um, family physicians who like this area. So kind of take it on as, as their, their thing. It, we've seen that especially in the pediatric area, though now we're getting a lot more pediatric subspecialists, which is very helpful, and we yeah. appreciate them. So I think really just, I mean, the only group, and I think we actually hit on it. The connection between the therapy and the in the medical world and and making sure that we're getting people to the right resources and if you feel like they're not keep reaching out yeah do you have any sort of suggestions for that because I think a lot of like I wouldn't know exactly you know the best way to form connections with the medical world so that yes. we're you know both ways because I've I've struggled to know how to refer my clients to people that I feel that are trustworthy and can handle different, very sub or sensitive subjects. Like I've had, I've heard some horror stories about them going to different physicians that, yes. um, not that they were all like middle-aged or, you know, whatever, or male, but like that, that typically they, they would make comments about their eating disorder or something around that, or still show them their weight after they said, please don't. And, you know, there's just different That's things helpful. where, yeah. So it's, it's tough when making recommendations from our side too, you yeah. know, who to trust. Oh, I understand. And, yeah. And I don't know that there's any like real resources, but I mean, things like this help, you know, I mean, yeah. I definitely think, um, because we share the same lack. I mean, we, I, if I want to send someone for therapy, I want to make sure that it's someone who's going to do a good job. And I get asked that all the time. Like mm -hmm. uh, all the time we get asked as physicians, who should I go to? And I have like a list, you know, of, of, of a few, but I don't really know other than that, you know, and, and 
I'll, we get feedback from patients, just like you get feedback from clients, probably to go, yes, no, yes, no. But I I think there's, you know, obviously ways we could professionally improve on that. And I'm not really sure the easiest way to do that. (laughs) Yeah, me neither, because my my thought process is with that, and I'm curious if you would see it this way or a different way. Um, Doctors are incredibly busy. Yes. A lot of therapists tend to be pretty busy, too, even if they may not be as busy. But they tend to be pretty busy, too. And so it's this sense of how do we, without overburdening either group, how do we connect the two? Um, I agree completely. You know, without it, because I totally understand that, you know, people don't have time to necessarily know all the specialists and all the areas and therapists and all the areas and that sort of thing. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of been my, like, I feel like it's a, I would love to figure out different ways that we could slowly do that in our community, but I also don't know that I have the answer to that due to the fact that, yeah, we're both very busy professionals and how we connect. And you don't have time, you know, you don't have time, we don't have time to have a phone conversation about every patient, you know. Right, right. Um, And you don't know what happens on the other side unless the patients tell you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I've even, and I've had really good experiences with talking with physicians, and then I've had not so great ones, too, Mm -hmm. where they seemed annoyed that I was even talking to them about their client who had a lot of medical issues through eating disorder. And so to me, it was just fascinating Huge. that they really didn't even want to like have that conversation. Um, and even for me, like, I mean, on a personal note, I would love to do more education about eating disorders with physicians, even though I'm not a physician. It's like, it's yes. tough because I'd love to be able to communicate, like, here's what would be helpful. And here are some of the lab tests that, you know, we know about, I know about just because I'm in this field. doesn't mean that, you know, I want to honor your expertise too, because I'm not a physician, but we need people who are, who are willing and able to, you know, yeah, work with these types of of clients or to, or to catch it, to see it more. Um, Even in my own, so my journey, my family was in total denial for like a year and my high school didn't do a great job or not even my high school it was my middle school rather didn't do a great job of talking about eating disorders at all so we genuinely didn't think I had an eating disorder because I wasn't like your cookie cutter like I was still restricted but I ate food mm-hmm. um, and I just did it differently than what I thought an eating disorder was mm-hmm. and so we thought I had cancer we thought I had a tapeworm we had all these things were, were going on and finally, my family physician, thankfully, sat me down and said, you have an eating disorder. And even then, I was in denial. I was like, no, 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 I'm good. And my, even my mom was like, okay, let's go to Chick-fil-A. And I'm like, let's go to Chick-fil-A. And I ate Chick-fil-A and continued to lose weight. And, you know, it was just this whole, like, hard misunderstanding. And, and Would you she, just go through cycles of restricting men? Or? No, well, so it was more that I was very, so my mom started this diet. And it was a very low-calorie diet, and I followed it to the T, where I was trying to keep everything within those calories. So I could go out to eat from time to time, but I wasn't going to eat other meals throughout the day if that was part of the calories. And mind you, I was a teenager that already had a high metabolism. I was doing soccer. And on top of that, I was doing little, like, exercise routines myself because I thought that that was, like, healthy. Like, I thought I was supposed to do that, not given all the context of, hey, you're already playing soccer you're already severely restricting your calories and you're a teenage girl who's supposed to be growing right now. Like you need, you need that energy. And so, because I was like, I'm doing, I'm doing what's healthy. I think it was under that kind of guise that I 
lied to myself for a while. Again, not, and in my head, I remember fully believing myself, thinking I don't have an eating disorder hmm. until I was, <laughs> I was actually tricked into hospitalization. That's a total, another story um, that was going to be a summer camp, but that was not a summer <laughs> camp. Yeah. That's nice. Um, so anyway, yeah, that was, yeah, no, it's kind of comical looking back on it, but at the time it was not fun. Um, but yeah, so I think that drives my passion too and wanting to be more education and advocacy around eating disorders because thank goodness my physician said that because I think my mom, that was the first time she was like, okay, I really need to look into this. Yes. So. Interesting. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. That's a cool catch. Yeah. No, she, I mean, it's funny because years later, like, as, you know, after I was fully recovered, she's like, it's so cool to see you healthy now. And like, you know, like, I'm so grateful to her because yeah, in ways she saved my life too. That's the benefit right? of being primary care. Yeah. It is. She gets to see you and see that success. Yeah. It's really a blessing. I mean, it's a cool thing to do. Yeah. And she was, you know, to give more kudos to, she's, you know, a female doctor that was yeah. older. So she was definitely a pioneer in she her was. time. And she, it was, I don't know how those women did it. Yeah, she was, I mean, she said something to me that actually, I think, pushed me through a lot of what I did in college, because she goes, she said to me one time, she's like, Jenny, the only thing people can't ever take away from you is your education. So you go do what you love and go get your master's. And I mean, it wasn't like a weird, like, you have to do your master's thing. Like, she yes. just was encouraging me. And she's like, no one can ever take that away from you. That's and right. I was like, you know, Man, that was really something. Once you've earned it, you've earned it. Yeah. That's awesome. So, <laughs> shout out. There you go. I like her. <laughs> to my family. I like it yeah. already. Back in Georgia, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So, anyway. But yeah, thank you so much for your time. Speaking thank of you. Time. This was fun, actually. Yeah, I really enjoy it. And people can, if they want to learn more about what you're doing and the things that you are educating people about, where can they find you? So my practice is at Primary Care Associates is at, um, on East 21st Street. Mm -hmm. And then I have my blog, um, which is called DrMomE.com. Yes. Um, and that's my new endeavor to fulfill myself. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And it's something that you love, it sounds yes. like. Yeah. I'm having fun with it. I really am. So. Yeah. Awesome. Well, cool. Well, thank you. And we'll have to talk again. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. You can get connected with Dr. Emily at www.drmomtheletter.e.com or you can get in touch with me by going to my business page, www.somawichita.com or emailing me at jenny at somawichita.com. I'd love to connect with you guys. And as always, if you like this, please subscribe on your podcast app. And until next time, take care.